Welcome to the Get Inspired with GERD show, brought to you by GERD's Hundle. Join us each week to be inspired, informed and uplifted with some of the most inspirational and motivational guests from around the world. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay inspired. Hello and welcome to Get Inspired with GERDS. I'm your host and today I have a special guest with me who's changing many lives with her one-to-one coaching, workshop and talks. Illa Kagram to me is an absolute inspiration. She is a survivor of mental abuse and a violent relationship that ultimately led her to forgive, forget and self-heal herself which is absolutely amazing. This is something that we all need to learn. She now actually uses her story and has devised techniques as an intuitive facilitator to help men, women, young children to let go of their past and find their inner greatness. Illa, welcome to my radio show and thank you for joining me. Hi, Gerds. It's so lovely to be on the show with you, and thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, bless you. No, it's a pleasure of mine, actually, because you have so much to teach the listeners, and it all stems from your past. Can you tell the listeners what you've been through, starting with your childhood? Oh, absolutely. Um, So I guess my whole life story started when I was a a young girl, and um, I I was a very vibrant... A young child, I was always dreaming. I was always always using my imagination to create and recreate things. So where kids would be doing one thing, I'd be doing t- something totally different, but so happy in myself. And I guess my whole life um, took a massive turn in a PE class. When I was in a PE class, I was daydreaming as usual, and the <laughs> PE teacher threw the ball at me. Oh. And it broke my finger. <gasps> what? It broke my young uh, little finger, and, you know, I think I was just about six years old at that time, and I had big tears rolling down my eyes, and I was like, my finger hurts, and he shouted to me, and he says, well, next time you daydream, he said, I'm going to make sure I throw that ball even harder, do you understand? And I was like, nodding my head, but I really didn't understand, Um, but I was too scared to understand why he'd done that because I really didn't know why he'd done that and it broke my fingers it's left a bent mark on my um, uh, little finger now wow is that your left on or your right on on my left uh, hand on my left little finger it's like the finger comes and it comes out and then comes back so it's a permanent reminder for me there but I guess it was that point in my life where unconsciously I made that decision that I was not good enough, I wasn't enough to be who I was, oh. and that had to be something else and to be something that I'm not. And all I think the the you know the whole concept of self-worth probably was just stamped in there. Mm. Um, and then I carried on, you know, going through life and always used to find myself shying away. So I'd be shy before I'd meet a group of people and then come out of myself and then be the most vibrant person again. Now, at that young age, I loved music. So playing uh, an instrument, dancing, singing, I loved it. And it was an uncle who he's passed away now, you know. My uncle said to me when I said that what I wanted to do was um, be a musician, I wanted to be a dancer. And he said to me, that's no career for a a young Asian girl. Mm. He says, you're classed as a prostitute. And I didn't actually understand that whole mythology of it. I really didn't understand it. But it kind of really stopped me from fulfilling. And so what happened was I'd go to classes and I'd stop and I'd go to classes and I'd stop and I wouldn't take anything seriously because deep down those voices were playing in my head and so they were stopping me from moving forward. So as I grew up, um, we went on holiday. So I grew up, I had all my schooling and everything in England. And when we finished GCSE A-levels, my my friends, two of my best friends were going away on holiday to Kenya. So my mum and dad said that if you guys want to go with them, why don't you go? So me and my elder sister went. And when we went, we were just there literally having fun and enjoying ourselves. And somebody put a proposal to my uncle, my dad's elder brother there. And my dad's elder brother said to my, you know, myself and my dad that, look, some some point in your life you are going to need to get married so why don't you just give these people a chance and have a look so I was like yeah but I don't know anything about anyone how do I just move to this country and live with somebody I don't live with were my questions I was only 18 years old wow 
And um, then, then when we went to see them, um, all that needed to be said was that his mother plays the sitar <laughs> and that they are very musical. And that's it. That's all that was needed. So I married for the wrong reasons. For the, but were for the right reasons for me at that point, you know, because of the lack of in my life um, growing up. So I got married and I was adamant, no, this is where I want to get married. And all I could think of was, oh, my God, this would be so beautiful to be in a family where the music is there and I could continue pursuing my musical dream. Mm. And, um, you know, when, when I discussed this with the family, and they said, oh, yes, you know, you can continue your um, studies, further education there. And you, there's a university right around the corner from us. You can go there and you can teach music, you can teach dance and you could do all of this stuff. So I got really excited. I thought, you know what? Life's about adventure and you just got to take the adventure as it comes along. And as soon as I got married, I mean, getting married was horrific because I knew on my wedding day it was the wrong decision. I knew. But because of you know, the conflicts that we go through within ourselves. Oh, my God, how can I do this to my parents? Mm. My mom actually even said to me, she knew it was wrong for me. She said, you know what? She says, you can still say no. Oh, wow. And I was like, you know, for me, all I could think about was what would it do to my dad? What would it do to my mom and dad's reputation? And what would the world think? And, and I went ahead with it. And I remember even on my wedding day, you know, it was just a horrible, horrible feeling because um he had it, all his family there and it, it you know I just thought this is this is not the life that I want it was just awful but I continued and um then eventually after after three weeks of being in England we moved to Kenya and when I moved to Kenya it was like this big massive seven bedroom house and I was just overwhelmed because it was so lonely I was so lonely and I thought I've got no friends. I don't know anybody here. I had to wear a sari, cover my head. Um, and then when in the evenings came, nobody came home till eight, nine o'clock in the evening. So I'd be on my own all day. So there was a family of nine living in this house. Um, but I'd be on my own all day didn't know the language, you know, had no freedom. And then when I voiced out that I wanted to go to the university or to go and work or to do something for myself, they said, no, um, daughter is in law of this household. Don't do things like that. What? And it was just my heart broke into a million pieces at that point because, you know, I was told lies. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't have a voice because I didn't know who I Oh, hello. Hello. Oh, yeah, you there again. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. This is not, you know, what I wanted in my life. Um, so as that life continued, um, you know, it started off with his, my ex-husband's sister, actually. She was a very spoiled, very dominating character in that household. And everything she did and said went, I mean, to the extent where even in the evenings, um, you know, when, he, when my husband would come home from work, my ex-husband would come home from work, I'd go running to the gate because it was just so somebody who was mine had come oh. home. And then she'd start overtaking that, so she'd go before oh my I could God. even go. And then the only time I got with him was alone was lunchtime. And then she ended up just coming in the room at lunchtime as well. And not so much so, but even in the night, she'd ended up sleeping in our bed with us. She was what? my age. She was my age. And, you know, I, I attempted wow. to like say that this is wrong it's not right I don't I don't want this kind of life yeah and she didn't seem to think there was anything wrong with her sleeping there talking to her brother all night um and it was just horrific I mean I had to uh, cover my head when him and his mother were in the same room Oh. Um, and so every evening after dinner, they'd all end up in my room and they'd be sitting there for hours on end. And I'd just be sitting there like a lost soul, you know, because I wasn't included in conversations. And it was it was just a really, really hard phase. And I think my heart was crying from the inside from that point onwards. Um, and then, you know, abuse started, like really awful verbal abuse. Um 
taunting my parents, taunting me left, right and centre, making fun of me. And it was constant. And they'd literally be bickering away. And I think, you know, the big thing about this is that when somebody does this on a mental and emotional note, you've got no scars to show anybody. Mm. You can't prove it to anybody. Mm. And, um, you know, then then the crux came where um, basically because I was so scared all the time. I was really scared. I was scared of his mother. I was scared of his father. I was scared of his brother. You know, I was scared of him. Mm. I was just living with fear in that house all the time um, of the mental abuse I was getting. And then I remember one particular day where um, he opened his cupboard and he he realized that, okay, there was some money missing. And he said to me, "Where's the who came in this room? Why is the money missing? And I said, I don't know. And I remember him like moving his hand and it really went bang across my face and I went against the wall. And I still question to this day whether he meant to do it or whether he didn't mean to do it. But because he got so bit, he didn't have any remorse in him. Wow. And, you know, I was so scared. I remember I've got tears in my eyes now when I'm talking about it. Aww. That, you know, it was such an awful, awful time because I was scared. I was just scared. Wow. So, you know, all that happened. And then I think at one point I started to rebel. And when I started to rebel, it blew up into even more verbal um accusations and and abuse and all of that stuff and I remember one point him getting so annoyed because I'd fought back verbally that he grabbed my hair and dragged me out into the kitchen area and outside and I remember the the people who used to work the house domestic people who used to work there were just so compassionate with me you know they were probably my only friends there and they were witness to all of this but unfortunately there's nobody alive today to you know, back up my story, as my ex-husband used to so blatantly put it. Um, they're all the, and, I was going to say, they're all these characters, they're all the same. What they do is they build in fear into you, and then after yeah. what they'll do is, so they know that you might say something, so they'll build in more fear into you, saying that actually, if they find out, or nobody, mm. nobody cares, and they make you mm. feel more worthless. Oh, absolutely, and that's exactly, you know, what happened is then my whole self-worth was completely out the head. But, you know, understand this, that that probably was the voice of the teacher in my head. Mm. And so I was actually justifying it. So everything outside was a reflection of what was already going inside of me anyway. You know, and I and I think that's really important to note here because it otherwise we end up blaming the whole world when we haven't taken the responsibility that actually at some point in my life, maybe I made that decision mm. to, to not believe in myself, to not love who I was, to not have self-acknowledgement, um, you know, whether unconsciously or, or consciously. Um, but this went on and on and on, and it was awful because it was at one point where his great-grandmother was there, and she loved me from everybody in that family. Aww. She really loved me. She's no longer here. She, she passed away while I was there, but she literally looked at me like her own child. You know, if, if there was something to do on her medically that she needed help with, she'd always come to me and ask me. So one day when I was up there, I was just um, nursing a wound she had. Mm. Um, she saw a great big massive bruise on my arm. And, you know, it was really black. And she said to me, what's this? And I said, oh, I, I just banged against the cupboard um, downstairs. You know, I don't know why, but that's the words that just come out mm. from you to protect everybody. Mm. Um, and, you know, but that, that happened um, at a point where my child was born. So what happened over this period was that my self-worth went so downhill because I didn't know how to get out of this situation because I wasn't leaving the house, you know, so I was cooped up in this house mm. um, with only, like, literally dogs to play around with wow. um, and the house help who were really magnificent. That it was at this point where I think it was my lowest point and I said to him, and I said, you know what, I said, I don't know why I'm, I'm here. I said that I might as well not be here. I said, I wish I was dead. And he says, oh, well, why don't you? And he handed me a lighter. Now, as much as I, you know, as much as I say that, yes, I did this, I, you know, commit almost attempted suicide, but 
he handed me the lighter for a person whose mind was so completely belittled at that point that I sent light to myself. No. And, um, you know, he literally banded me on the floor, threw a blanket over me, threw water over me, kicked me (gasps) while I was down there. And then he went out and shouted and called all his family. And they all came downstairs, and all they did was give Shouts. pity to him. Yeah, they'll shout they were, at you, won't they? Yeah, they didn't care about me. And all I said, kept saying to them was, I need to get myself to the hospital. I need to go to the hospital. And um, she said to me, his mother, she says, well, just sleep in the downstairs box room for now. She goes, we'll go in the morning. <gasps> so bear in mind, you know, you've got temperatures ranging from anything from 35 degrees onwards in Mombasa, because that's where I was. I was sleeping in a box room with just a fan, and I was in pure agony. I, I must have passed out so many times through that night, but I was crying because I was in so much pain. Nobody even sat with me. Nobody stayed with me, and nobody was even helping me. Then in the morning, they busily uh, prepared all the food for everybody, Uh, made food for everybody's lunch and breakfast and all of that. Then at half past nine, no, about half ten, they came in the room. And by this time, I had bubbles on my whole body, literally the size of a beach ball. That's how big the bubbles on my body were from my neck downwards. And that's when they suddenly realized, oh, my God, this is not good. So they bunged me in a car got me in a car as soon as I got to the hospital the staff there knew because I was passing out then the staff knew that you know this is a very serious case I was rushed into ICU taken out there taken into surgery and then I spent 35 days in hospital and even in hospital for those 35 days three days my ex-husband didn't come to see me because he was angry because I did something to tarnish their name it's always a shame Yeah, it was awful. And at that time, you know, there was a nurse there. And literally, if I can say angels come into your life, she was an absolute angel for me in my life because she literally fed me. I had a frame over my body. You know, I was completely naked under this frame. And, um, you know, I'd been in surgery about three times by that time. So I couldn't feed myself, couldn't do anything. She, This nurse did absolutely everything for me. Then in the evenings, he'd come and he'd sit there. He'd bring his beer. He'd sit there having beer in the hospital because it was a private room and continue whirling abuse at me while I was not able to fight back for myself. Um, And then... When I got home, um, after 35 days, when I got home, you know, there was a lot of care that needed to be taken for me because I need to be sitting in a bath with salt water and um, nurse my wounds and stuff. And his mother-in-law literally put a, a foldable bed in my bedroom. And she says, that's your bed from now on. And it was just a horrible way to treat somebody who'd gone through this trauma and they didn't even understand or get why this had all happened. And over those few days, um, you know, I, I just, I think for me, it was the point in my life where I honestly say that there was some divine force that that really got me through all of this because there was some innate strength that came out um, and all I felt was peace. I felt peace. And it was at that point in my life I got pregnant. And, you know, for the right or wrong reason, away from that point I didn't know there was a way out Mm. Um, I got pregnant and you know that was probably the happiest day of my life and it was just wonderful being pregnant but even throughout the pregnancy his sister was constantly tormenting Um, to one point you know where I remember in the kitchen there was a a religious function going on I said oh I said I remember doing this at my mum's house I said we used to have so much fun and that's it that's all it took and she triggered off and she went off into one angry tirade of abuse at me saying oh yeah yeah your mum taught you everything didn't she you know it was very sarcastic and very belittling words and she, she was shouting I was about six months seven months pregnant so I kind of um, collapsed. <laughs> I oh. had a blackout because, you know, all this shouting with me. And my mm. ex-husband at that point took me into the room 
Our room was downstairs on the ground floor, so she went outside near the window and continued hurling abuse. Christ, wow. And, you know, at that point, that was the only point in my life I say my husband, ex-husband really took care of me. But it was probably because I was carrying his child at that time. Mm. And so when, when my baby was born, I literally gave my whole life and soul to him. You know, my whole life was given to him. Um, it was the happiest day of my life because it felt like this angel was there to give me strength, to give me love, to have that unconditional uh, quality brought back into my life. And I remember because I was breastfeeding and I remember for three months, my ex-mother-in-law saying that, oh, from today onwards, I'm going to give him some um or, you know, normal milk. So she says, don't breastfeed him this afternoon. So he was crying, and he was crying and crying and crying, and I was like, okay, she's still not here. And I ended up starting to breastfeed him. I just breastfeed him because he was crying for milk, mm. and I wasn't going to do that to him. Mm. And I remember her coming in there, and she says, I told you, didn't I, to wait? And she threw the bottle near where I was, and then she left. And I continued breastfeeding my child for uh, until he was about a year and two months and I thought there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing this mm. you know um but that was the only thing that I did and even if I had to do it secretly I did it secretly mm. but uh, from that day onwards I wasn't very liked by her um and then when he was growing up and he was old enough to understand stuff he used to come to me and start calling me names like stupid and what? idiot and you know, and I was like, where are you learning this from, Mir? I used to say, where are you learning this words from? And he used to say, um, Mama is teaching me, you know, his grandmother. Wow. She told me. And so I was sitting down without belittling my ex-grandmother because it's a child and you confuse him. I'd say, you know what? I said, sometimes you've got to listen to your heart. How does it feel for you to say this? And he said, it's not nice, Ma. He said, it's not nice because you're my ma. And it was beautiful, you know, to hear this child speak like this, mm. but it continued. And so what was happening was where they, they were tormenting him against me. And then it was at this point where even the abuse started and all of that started up again and where, you know, the great-grandmother saw the bruise oh, on my arm. Wow. And so she said to me, what happened? And I said, oh, I banged into a cupboard. <laughs> I'm guessing she didn't believe that. <laughs> yeah, and she really didn't. She says to me, now you tell me the truth. And I couldn't hold inside any longer. So I burst out and I told her everything that had been going on in the house. And next morning she went and told my ex-father-in-law. And I said, when I went upstairs and he says, well, what do you want to do? And I said, you know what? I said, I, I, I can't live like this anymore because even my child is suffering. My child has been tormented. When he's going upstairs, my, my ex-sister-in-law had a baby mm. and she was at my house all the time. Oh, gosh. And when, you know, it's me like and so my son would be constantly be told mm. off um, about making noise or playing or laughing. And then to a point where when she came in with her baby, she went upstairs and he ran after because he wanted to play with the baby. Mm. And as soon as he got upstairs, they banged the door. So he was outside the door, they banged the door shut, and he came running downstairs. Now, as a mother, mm. I know for a fact, whether it's a human or an animal, no mother will take any torture like this mm. lightly for her child. And it was at that point I made that decision, I'm getting out of this with my child. Wow. I'm not going to let him live this kind of life. And so that went on you know, for another year or four. When he was four years old... I got an opportunity where I could come to England, which was after a good, you know, five years. Yeah. And I came to England and I was going to come on my own with my um, son. Mm -hmm. So my son was four years old. But prior to this, the last time that I came to England was when my son was 10 years old, ten, sorry, 10 months old. And rather than me being able to go on my own to spend time with my family, with my son, he sent his sister. Oh, God. Control for it. And his sister was literally, she was horrible. She was awful. She wouldn't let my family pay with my son. She would constantly bickering at me. She'd constantly being on the phone, complaining about me, complaining about my family to my ex-husband. 
So my ex-husband would be on the phone to me and telling me off of why I'm upsetting his sister so oh, much. Oh, God. What, what, what did your dad say? My dad was the first time in my his life that he realized that this everything is not as it is. Mm. And he said to me, are you happy? He says, yes, yes. I said to my dad, yes, I'm really happy. Mm. And he says, you don't look happy. Mm. And he says, are you being treated like this there? Mm. And he says, you know what? He goes, your father's still living. And he says that oh. my house is always open for you. You know that. You say one word and we'll do whatever we can do to keep you here and you know my thoughts at that time guys were yeah my thoughts were that no I can't do that to my child to oh. live without his father my God. that's what my thoughts were and that's what I continued saying to my mom my dad my mom and dad even got my friends involved and my friends were sitting there because they knew I wasn't happy I was skinny I was so skinny I was you know you could see I was haggard mm. and um God, I was I was weighing less than about nine stones at that point, and wow. it really, really just uh, you know cheekbones were inside and all of that stuff, and and then my friends were like, you, we know you're not happy, so why are you sticking out this? I says I'm not going to allow my child to grow up without his father, and so I was adamant, and I said I went back, and as soon as I went back, it was like the abuse I'd suffered was nothing compared to what was to come. Wow. Wow. And it was just horrific. I mean, certain things like, you know, the lights go off there in Kenya a lot mm. and the electricity goes off and you've got a baby and the baby's crying. Where's your priority? Oh. Your priority is with your child. Yes. And I'd be like told, you know, I'd be told um, that I'm worthless because I didn't cook the food for his sister and what? all of this stuff. And And, you know, I did at one point... Um, start writing I wrote all of this down in a book and wow. when all this pain started up I tore the whole book apart because I was like god there's no way out for me here wow. and so when he was four years old you know I became wiser and knew that okay coming back after I go back to England is not going to be an option because I won't be living wow. and so when I got to England when he was um four years old because my exit, yeah, so it was worse 10 times. And so I knew if I went back this time and I came back, I would literally not have a life there for my child. God. Yeah, I and said to my ex-husband, I need to come on the morning. So they, they did this kind of thing. They gave you this false hope that you're going there to be free, to be with your mom and dad for a little while. And then all of a sudden, in the morning that you're traveling, they turn up and say, oh, I'm coming as well. Oh, my God. This is like so something I, out of a Bollywood film. I also. know. Do you know when, when you say this to people and you're just like, they couldn't believe it. And I'm like, you know what? I could say this 10 million times and the story will never change because it's exactly what it happens. I still feel it every time I talk about it. You know how, how real it was. Yeah. And so, when I... Yeah. When Sorry I, to cut you in. Sorry about this. I just It just makes me realize that... It reminds me of like these TV shows, these Asian TV shows, like, all dramatic, the mother-in-law, the daughter-in-law or the sister-in-law, and there's all these arguments going on. Mm. And it's like almost that that generation are watching it and actually that's what they're copying. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I often sat back and I thought to myself, when did you guys learn to become like this? Yeah. Now, what, when, did, when did love be taken out of your heart? That's what mm. I used to sit there and wonder. Mm. And so me, every day I used to wake up and think, okay, today's a new day, so I'd still be a jovial myself, greet everybody with love and compassion, and, and you still get the same thing day in and day out. And so when I got to England, you know, with my son, and I said to my ex-husband at that point, I'm not coming back, but I'll, I'll never keep my child away from you, so you'll have the freedom to come and see him, be with him, you know, see him grow up. I, I'd never do that. Um, but I said, you need to understand, I've gone through all these years. I can't, I can't put him through this. Yeah. And so he wouldn't let me out of his sight at my mum and dad's house. And it was awful. I'd even go to the bathroom. He'd stand outside the bathroom. Oh my you know, God. it was horrible. It was really horrible. Then all of a sudden on that day, he made his decision that he said, oh, he goes, my sister's in-laws at that point he says oh they're from Kenya we're going to go and stay in with them so it's all a play uh, 
because if I'm with my sister's in-laws, obviously I wouldn't do anything drastic. Mm. So he kept me there, and I thought, I don't even know these people. Why am I spending my time in England, not with my parents, and with these people I don't even know? Mm. And um, what happened was he said, oh, he's going to the bank, because he said he's changed our tickets, and we're going that same night. And so my heart sank, you know, my heart sank. And I thought, if I go back now, I'm never coming back alive. Mm. And it was in that split second, I had literally 10 minutes to grab whatever I did. I just grabbed stuff for my child. I grabbed a few of his clothes. I grabbed his toys. I took his hand and I literally got out of the house and around the corner, I rang a friend and I said, please, please stay here, help me. And she was there in a, you know, seconds she got there took me and I said look what I need you to do is I need you to take me to a refuge because if you keep me here with my parents or anybody Mm. else they're going to suffer a lot of verbal abuse Mm. so I went to Southall and I ended up in the refuge there where I stayed you know there for a good few months but as soon as I got there you know with the witness of so many people I rang my ex-husband to say that look you now you need to take this seriously I'm not coming back Mm. And I'm not I'm not going to let my child come back to that either. Mm. And so he took me to court for abduction. <laughs> and yeah, and you know, wow. So the case went to the high court. The case went to the high court. The judge ruled abduction out because he said it's absurd. There was no way on earth that she was abducting her child. She she called you, you know. So it was curbed out but he said because of Hague convention this case would be would need to be dealt with in the Kenyan courts oh no so I said well I'm a British subject I'm a British citizen I can't work in Kenya how do I pay for the fees so my ex-husband said to the judge he goes oh that's okay I'll give her money every month oh in reality did did the legal system not understand this? That what was he really going to give me money every month so I could fight a case against him in the Kenyan courts? Really and he, this is where the injustice of this legal system came in for me. Mm. And I thought, did they really believe all of this stuff? You know, and so the judge said, but for this one month, he would have to stay in England and the child will stay with his father. Mm. So bear in mind, my child had never been away from me, not even a single second. Oh, no. And all of a sudden, he was now given to his father for that month to make sure that we re- reconcile. And the judge's theory around that was if he, if my ex-husband starts to see the responsibility that he has to bring up the child, he'll think differently. Did you at that point tell them that he'd been like physically abusing you and mentally abusing you? Yes, it, it was all out there, all open out there, and they did nothing. I mean, wow. Here's, here's the biggest thing: when when the day came and he was allowed to take his passport, I didn't even. Sorry, I can't hear you again. It's gone. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Can you say that again? Yeah, so when the deadline came, he took his passport and he was out this country with my son and I didn't even know what airline they went on, when they travelled, what they travelled. And I was erratic. I was frantic because I was like, God, he's taken away my baby. Oh, no. You know? And he's literally turned all... Wow. ...my child... That is if I left him, <gasps> I abandoned my child. So wow. my son is 21 today, but he's grown up with that whole thinking that I abandoned him. Oh. And I never did because I fought tooth and nail to wow. get to him. I mean, picking up the phone, I rang and rang and I used to ring every day, three, four times a day. Yeah. And they'd never give the phone to my son. Wow. I'd write letter every day there was a letter that'd be sent and they never gave a single letter to my son the control freaks that's why yeah wow. yeah so obviously my son grew up thinking you know that my mother's left me so I think my son was about eight years old and somebody um somebody bless them and I called them angels in disguise you know let me know 
Mm. Um, and she's passed away now as well, bless her. She Aww. said to me, they're coming to England with your son. They're on this flight if you want to see your son. So, you know, I got really happy. I went and it was around Christmas. I went and brought some presents, mm. wrapped them up, Aww. wrote a letter with my address, my email address and everything on there. And when they came out the terminal, I said, Mir, Mir. And his father said to him, oh, my God, she's here. Run, Mir, run. <gasps> so all of this happened in the terminal. A child of eight running, me running after him, saying, Mir, Mir, why are you running? I don't understand why you're running. And his father shouted, shouting at the back, Mir, run as fast as you can, I'll find you. And it was such big drama. So it was his brother, my ex-husband's brother, literally rammed a trolley into my legs. <gasps> then he grabbed my arm and he pulled me back so that I wouldn't go near them. Now, there were witnesses, and it's all in the police file as well. There were witnesses who saw this, and the witnesses called the police in. And the police said to me, he goes, you know, you've got a clear-cut case for abuse there, um, an assault. So what do you want us to do? And I said, what will happen to my son? Mm. And he says, unfortunately, he's carrying some legal papers, which means that he has total rights over his son. And that would mean that if you, if your ex-husband and his brother were arrested, your son would be sent back to his family. Oh, now, birds, just understand this. And any mothers out there, no mother would do this to her son. Mm. And I couldn't do this to him. So I was like, so you're saying to me that if I have my ex-husband arrested, my son will not be able to come to me. So he'll not only have lost his mother, he'll have lost his father too. Oh, God. So I said, no, I, I'm not prepared to do that. I'm not prepared to do that. So it went, you know, the police were, bless them, they were really good. But they said, because it's a domestic issue, we can't get involved. But he says that, you know, we've got enough witnesses that even if you turned your state... Even if you turned your um, wish around and said, yes, I want them arrested, we'll go and arrest them now. So think hard about this long term. Mm. But all I could think about was my son. And then, you know, the solicitor just got involved again. And they said to the solicitor, oh, yes, she's his mother. She can see him whenever she wants. And as soon as I ring, they're abusive on the phone. And as soon as I made some arrangements to go and see him, they're saying, well, they're not here, they're out. So that happened for the three weeks they were wow. there. Gosh. And so they went back and I never saw him. And, um, you know, this, this has been, it's been a hard journey. Mm, I can imagine. Wow. Yeah. So how, obviously this is just, I'm just, I'm shocked for words. I've actually been crying whilst I've been listening to you. Um, <laughs> it's just, it just seems like for me, like from what I'm hearing and being ethnic myself, so much drama for no reason it's just I don't know what there's a lot of problems within our community yeah and it's like they inflict it onto the next generation and the generation after that but they don't realize what they're doing is damaging the ne the future generation yeah and they, they don't see that if they don't change themselves they are creating more depression they are creating more heartache I see a lot of ethnic women in particular in the ethnic minority they're, they're, they're on depression tablets or antidepressants because they can't handle what's happening. And the reality is they don't have no self-worth of themselves. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you know, the innocent one in this is, is that little boy. Yes. He's not little anymore. He's 21, you know. Mm. But no day goes by where I don't think about him. Oh. No day goes by when I don't wish that all of this could have been different. But what could I have done that was different? And, you know, one day I hope he'll open his eyes and I hope one day he'll he'll know the truth because that's all I can do is sit here and just pray because he's he's been so tarnished that when I did connect with him a few years ago mm. on Facebook, it was the most wonderful experience to reconnect with him and we were talking about all the gifts that he has and which is so many of my gifts. Aww. And it was just such a beautiful experience. And all of a sudden, he went bang, bang, bang with all this legal palaver that had happened. Yeah. And he said to me, you did this and you did that. And Aww. it was nothing, nothing like it happened. Yeah. And he, he quoted stuff of the legal paper. And, oh, you know, it says Justice Hughes has said this and you had done this. And, you know, my father had tried for years to see you. Wow. And, 
that suffered this abuse at the hands of his father, I will not suffer this abuse at the hands of my child. Yeah. And I cut off, I cut myself off energetically from that because it hurt me. And I remember when that happened, you know, all the pain of the last few years, I was so ill after that period. I literally, I remember crying for a month, nonstop. I wouldn't leave the house. You know, all of this things that had happened. And I had to, I had to learn to start to love myself again. Mm. I had to learn to start to awaken the love in my heart mm. for me, no more than anything else, that the love for me mm. so that I can move forward and then to understand. So how did you heal yourself then? Obviously, you know, you said you created that self-worth, self-love. What else did you do? Do you know what I did? I meditated a lot. Mm. I meditated so much. I set hours and hours um, sitting in meditation, I spent hours and hours just reciting mantras. Um, and then I started to, you know, look at the outside world and I started to come across such beautiful people. Mm. And none of these people knew ever what had gone on in my life, yet they were giving so much love to me. Mm. And since the time this had happened from 1990, Eight to this date onwards I've never come across anybody who has ever been horrible to me you know people have been just so beautiful oh. so loving so I, I do believe that the universe literally put these angels all around me mm. just so that I could be in this loving space to keep healing um, but I had to do a lot of self-work and it was that journey that took me on to you know, becoming an NLP master practitioner, doing all sorts of modalities, doing timeline therapies. All I was doing was I was looking for ways to um, heal myself, you know, to, so, you know, it was not a case of, okay, I'm going to learn this, just create a business out of it. I learned it to heal myself. And through that, I created my own process of the things that I did for myself that I know absolutely work because I'm standing here, you know, uh, vibrant in my own beingness. Um, so um, a lot of my programs are all centered around the authentic self progression. And it's about understanding who your authentic self is and embracing that. So that's what set me to, you know, how to become authentic because nobody becomes authentic overnight. Mm. You know, we play roles. We play different roles. So if if you're like most people, you know, you play a number of different roles of different archetypes. You play out being a mother, a sister, a brother, you know, brother, a father. You play so many different roles. You play out the role of an employee, an employer, um, a lover, mm. a carer. But it doesn't mean that you don't, you're not authentic in all of those roles because you can still be authentic and play those different roles. Mm. And, you know, it's about that flexibility, but understanding where your core values are of who you are and understanding the gap, you know, between that honesty and, and the untruth, as I call it. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I totally relate with that. I definitely think... You're, I think everyone's authentic, though, my dear. I think everyone, they forget that they're authentic because we're part of the yes. system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's such a good point you've made there because it is about remembering your authenticity. Yeah. You know, when, when people are, are let to be free in, the, in an environment where they're really happy and they're flourishing, they are who they are, mm. and then they forget. Mm. And so a lot of my life has been dedicated to creating this whole process about helping people to find their spiritual truth, their authentic self. So I've not only worked with families to bring families together, but I've worked with mothers, uh, you know, who are wanting to get pregnant because it's about clearing that energy before they even bring a child into this earth, about working with fathers as well, working with couples who have split up and working to get them to be, you know, there for, for the child and for each other but in a loving way to understand, okay, paths change. And not only that, but I've gone into schools as well and to work with young people as well so that they can start to step into their truth. Um, so it's taken me on a lot of uh, paths. And not only that, but it took me to the school that uh, where the teacher broke my little finger. Oh, God. <laughs> and, you know, you talk about how the universe works and how bizarre <laughs> this happened because it was one of the schools that took up my services 
and went into school and I did a, an assembly with 400 kids, wow. um, which is on YouTube at the moment. And um, when I did the assembly, you know, I had tears of overwhelm because I, I did, I made peace. I made peace with my past. And I think this is a real key distinction here because most people talk about forgiveness. Mm. When you when you forgive, you know, it's almost a blame game that because of this person or that person or that mm. situation, this situation, this happened to me. Mm. And then you take away the responsibility. Mm. You take away your ability to respond to stuff. So I literally look at this as, okay, making peace with, with the situation and releasing it. Mm love it I absolutely love what you're doing it's, it's just beautiful to hear you're you're amazing my dear I don't even think you know it <laughs> oh thank you so much <laughs> you're an absolute inspiration um yeah wow <laughs> I have no words <laughs> <laughs> um my dear we are coming towards the end of the show I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you quickly what are you most grateful for I'm most grateful for my heart I'm most grateful for being able to be loving and to be loved and that, that is, you know, one of the things that I say every day to God, thank you, God, for giving me a heart that loves. Mm. And what are, you, what are your five top tips for someone who's currently going through mental, physical or emotional abuse? Um, first and foremost, I'd say live with integrity mm. because it takes courage. It takes courage to develop and preserve integrity. So start by looking at the choices that you make. You know, you'll, you'll often intuitively know what the right or wrong choices are. And I say, live with that integrity. Listen, you know, listen to the, that inner voice within yourself. Um, and when you feel that sense of in, unease, understand that. So that's number one. The second one is communicate honesty. And I say honestly, not necessarily with the person that you're um, experiencing this with, but with yourself. Because when you are honest with yourself about what's going on, your communication skills have a different um, message. You know, we talk about emotional intelligence. Your emotions are high. You know, intelligence is low. Mm. And so the communication around that becomes very erratic. Mm. So come from that place. Breathe. Most people forget <laughs> to breathe. Right? Very true. <laughs> and, and breathe, breathe correctly, you know, breathe with a full nature. Um, and what I say with that is wake up in the morning, look outside and look and observe nature and just say, what a wonderful day it is today. So that's a really crucial thing. I still do it to this day. Mm. Um, the other one is the 20, 20, 20 second meditation, which is wake up in the morning, um, you know, stretch. Babies, look at babies and animals. What do they do? They stretch, right? <laughs> they stretch completely. But we forget the simplicity of that. Mm. And so I say stretch like babies. Just stretch until your body completely releases in all the stuff and uh, tension that's in there. And then do the 20-second meditation, which is just smile. Just smile for 20 seconds and smile at your partner Smile even if you're having issues with them. Smile at your children if you have any. Smile at things around you. Just 20 seconds. And maybe do that throughout the day because you, you cannot be angry or hurt or frustrated with a smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It is absolutely it's such a beautiful, beautiful, simple task as well. And um, is that four? And then... I, is that four? Oh, I'm not sure actually. Well, give me another one. It's fine. Okay. And and then the last one is, you know, a lot of people use affirmations like, "Oh, I love myself. I love myself." Well, guess what? That your little brain is going, "No, you don't. You're not worthy. You're not worthy." So I say, use this to your advantage and just say, "Why do I love myself?" And so your little brain will go, "Oh, because you're beautiful. Because you're talented." And it's a beautiful affirmation to use. <laughs> so I use that for years and it really works. Why do I love myself? Why why am I so confident? So just any word that resonates with you rather than using the affirmation which was then your unconsciously your question, mm. use the affirmation as use it in question. <laughs> I'll tell you so, why I was you know, laughing. Simple just, tips and simple mm. tools that you can use. I'll tell you why I was laughing because I literally just thought of that in my head and I was like because I'm worth it. Yes, <laughs> there you go. It's not the advert in my head. 
perfect <laughs> no I love that. that that's amazing tips thank you so much guys out there if you know any of you guys are suffering with any kind of mental emotional any type of abuse definitely take on board what Illa's saying because Illa is she knows where she's she, she knows what she's talking about and she's lived it so just please take in consideration what she's saying um but thank you Illa. thank you for being on my show it's I'm just so proud to have you on the show and just giving the listeners all this information and sharing your story it's it's just been amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, guys. It's been an absolute honour. And thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. Before we go, though, where can my listeners find you? Um, they can find me if they go onto my website, which is www.radiantlotus.co.uk, or just send me a quick email, uh, which is at info at radiantlotus.co.uk. And I'll always reply. Perfect. Thank you, my dear. Well... I look forward to getting you back on the show in the near future because I definitely will have you back talking maybe about self-love and self-worth and just kind of talking more in depth about that. But yeah, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hope Girls. Bless you. Will you take care and I'll speak to you soon. God bless you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, what an amazing person. Illa, you're an absolute inspiration. Wow, you've just blown me away with your story. It's it's so important that, you know, guys, that we we need to learn to love and respect ourselves. Because if we don't love to learn our, and respect ourselves, people will insult you, people will hurt you, people will put you down. And you need to realise that nothing is greater than being yourself and loving yourself. Because if you can't love yourself, you can't love others back in the right manner. But unfortunately, it is the end of the show. Just before I head off, don't forget that you can find me on Twitter at IamGurds. It's I-A-M-G-U-R-D-S. And on Facebook at Get Inspired with Gerds, where I'll be bringing you lots of inspirational and motivational quotes. And also, I'd love for you guys to check out my video on YouTube. It's actually called Free Hugs in London, hash Gerdtundal, um, where I actually spent half a day uh, in Trafalgar Square just giving out free hugs because we all deserve a hug once in a while. Let me know what you guys think. Um, but before I leave, I'm going to leave you on this quote. Forgive the past and the past will let go of you. Believe me, if you don't, you will never be happy. Right, guys, it is the end of the show. Better say bye. But you take care and I will speak to you soon. Join us each week to be inspired, informed and uplifted with some of the most inspirational and motivational guests from around the world. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay inspired.